want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We'll actually be doing uh, chapter 15 and chapter 16 today. They are one thought. Um, two and a half pages, but they are just one thought. Uh, and, and, and the way that I see it, what Jesus is going to offer today is a challenge to his disciples. You know, he's been comforting his disciples because he's going away. Remember in John chapter 14, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be troubled, look to your faith. But as he goes into John chapter 15 and 16, um, what we're seeing is that Jesus is talking to his disciples about what they're going to face, and then he is supplying their needs. Even as he's teaching them, he's supplying their needs for what they will have as they go through it. And so, in way of introduction, all I really want to say is God is good. God is so good because he provides everything that we need even when we don't know what we're going to need next. He is there for us in ways that we don't always recognize in the moment. And then there are things that he is working out for our future that he's not even sharing with us yet because we wouldn't be able to handle that. The truth of the matter is God is good. And that is, I think, the one thing that we need to remember as we go through this passage, especially as we go through all of the things that, that we have seen in the last year and a half and, and probably are going to continue to see going forward. So the sermon in the sentence is this. Life in Jesus will make us enemies of the world, but he will make us fruitful, joyful, and victorious. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage, uh, John chapter 15 and chapter 16, uh, and then we'll get into it. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, whatever, or ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates my father, or whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. For they hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put, out, put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask of me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I did, if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When the woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, 
and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will, be rece and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into this world, and now I am leaving the world to go to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, so we're going to start, and I think we're going to see four different things here. We're going to start with fruitful branches. Um, so kind of the setting, we know that Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room. That's kind of the last thing he said in chapter 14 was, come on, let's get up and go. And so they've left the upper room, and we know that they're headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane. But where are they in between? Probably Jesus saw something along the way, a, a, a grape vineyard or something along those lines, and he stopped them there, and he began to teach them because he was really great at object lessons. God, he's good at everything. Um, he, he used object lessons often. That's probably a better way to say that. Um, and at that moment with the grapes and, and the vines, he probably stopped right then and, and told them about this, this, this part where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, he starts this saying with another I am statement, and this time indicating that he is the vine. Now, you may think that preachers are just kind of going on about it when they say that, um, but a, a true Hebrew person in that time would not have used the phrase I am anything. They wouldn't have, because that is part of God's name. It is part of his holy covenant name, and they wouldn't have said it like that. And so for Jesus to say it like that intentionally means that he was proclaiming who he is. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus and no one else is the vine, uh, the source of life for all Christians. When he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, he's saying, I am the vine in a way that no one else is a vine. I am the source of life so much so that there is no other source of life. We have to understand that Jesus is speaking very exclusively. We live in a world of inclusion, not really, but that's what they say. But Jesus spoke very exclusively. Jesus said that he is the vine. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the door. Over and over again, Jesus says there's one way to the Father. And if you'll notice as he, he speaks here in these two chapters, again and again he says the way to the Father is through loving and obeying Him. And so there is one way to the Father, there is one way to eternal life, and there is one way to this fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about now. So the Father above is the vine dresser, and He manages the branches. Um, 
And so without going into a tremendous amount of detail about uh, grapevines and things like that, um, there's a pruning process just like there is with almost every other kind of um, plant or vegetable or anything like that. Those that are dying or dead, those that are unfruitful, they are removed so that the others can flourish even more. So the important lesson here is that the grapevine produces grapes by its nature and Christians will be witnesses by their nature. You know, it's not a, it's not a really surprising thing when you plant a grapevine and it eventually grows grapes. It's gratifying um, and, you know, I've not made it a big secret. I've planted cucumbers a couple of years in a row and I've not grown cucumbers, but it didn't grow something else. It didn't surprise me. Oh, there's an eggplant. That's not what I got. I just didn't get cucumbers because I'm not good at it. But the, the, the grapevine by its nature is going to grow grapes. God is making us into something else, and that something else is going to be fruitful. We are going to be a witness for Jesus by our very lives, by the new nature that he is building in us. And this is the important thing. If we are in Jesus and he is in us, then we will be fruitful. We will be witnesses. You will find it impossible not to talk about Jesus. You will find it impossible to, to, to not have a witness among the people that you are around what you will find is that he will put you in situations and you will find that you react to situations much differently than you used to before you knew Jesus. He will put you in places where you can truly be a witness. So Jesus isn't giving specific instructions at this point. He's not saying you do this and you do this and you do this. We need those step-by-step -step instructions sometimes, but Jesus wasn't giving that. He was simply saying that we will be fruitful if we abide in him. Now, what is that fruit going to look like? Well, Here's the problem. It's going to look different in me than it's going to look in you. And it's going to look different in you than it's going to look different in someone else. It's going to look different. But what it's going to be is a witness of Jesus Christ. Now, this kind of goes, well, not kind of, this goes along with what we're studying on Wednesday nights in The Chosen because the reality is as we live for Jesus and, and as, we, um, as we encounter other people that need to know about Jesus, the main thing is telling them what Jesus has done in your life. You know, we could, we could quote Scripture, and we should. We could talk about doctrine, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. But that thing that Jesus did in your heart, the way He changed you, the way that, 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 that He began to rewrite your whole story into His context, that's the thing that we share with other people. And that's what He's making us into. Now, some vines, Jesus says, they wither. They don't bear fruit. He breaks them off, or the vine dresser, God, breaks them off and casts them to the side, and then those dried up vines are, are thrown into the fire. Well, he, may prob he probably was talking about Judas at this point and those like Judas, those that go along with Jesus for a time, that go along, but eventually they, are, they prove to not be true vines. They prove to not be fruitful. They prove that they are not abiding in Christ. And so that is God's business. Now, let, let me do point out here that God, the Father, is the vine dresser, not us. We're not the vine dresser. So it's not our business to go cutting off branches that we think are not fruitful or to, to go judging branches that don't bear you know, the right kind of grapes as far as we're concerned. Our business is to be fruitful. That's what we're supposed to do. And so, as it's been said other ways... We need to stay in our lane. What we are supposed to do is bear fruit. What God will do is be the vine dresser himself. So 
All the fruitfulness in our lives comes when we abide in Jesus. He makes that abundantly clear. If you are in me and I am in you, you will be fruitful. If you are apart from me, you will not be fruitful. So all the good, fruitful things in our lives comes from being in Jesus. The word of Jesus leads us to cleanliness. He says you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And the Father uh, clips off the things in our lives that are not fruitful. That's going to happen in your life. He will also tend you, even as a fruitful branch. He will tend things and remove things that are not fruitful in your life. He will look for those things and you will see them. And at first, you won't like it. You will see things that that go away that that you thought, well, this was a good thing. Well, it, it might still go away so that you can be more fruitful in other places and in other ways. So just like a branch cannot produce grapes apart from the vine, Christians cannot be a witness apart from Christ. We can't be a witness of Jesus when we're not with Him. We cannot. And so there's going to be some things in this passage that that I think show us how we stay connected, how we abide. Because if if you just read the first couple of verses of John chapter 15, and you don't go any further, you hear Jesus say, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. But what does that mean and how do we do that? Well, I think he's going to make that clear as we go through. And the first thing he's already mentioned is his word, and he'll mention it again. But that is one way that we can truly abide in Christ. So if we are his, he will be the center and the source of our lives. What is the center of your life? Think about that. Think about it. Maybe let that be what you dwell on this afternoon. What is, what is the center of your life? What, what dominates everything? Now, for many of us, if we are honest we may not answer Jesus at first. And we may need to reorganize or or rework our priorities to make sure He's the center of our lives. But He is supposed to be the center of our lives. As we serve Him, the windows of heaven are open to deliver the blessing that we need to be a witness. Now, some people struggle with some of the things that Jesus said here, ask and you'll receive. Um, And He says this like three or four times. He talks about if you pray in His name, then the Father will give what, what is asked in the name of Jesus. And people say, well, you know, I've asked for things before and not gotten them, so is this, is this broken? Um, but you have to understand the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about being a witness. He's talking about being fruitful. And so as we ask for things that we need, so when Jesus was about to do a miracle, I believe that every time he prayed, and ask for God to be glorified in this miracle, and for God to be glorified in his ministry, and for God to be the center of everything that happens. And then God granted him the ability to do that miracle. Jesus probably didn't ask God for a new house or a new boat or a promotion at his job. He probably didn't ask God for the things that sometimes we ask God for. And so I believe that we have to understand prayer life. And and what Jesus is talking about in this context is not about everything, It's about specifically how do we live a fruitful life. And he connects this to our joy. Jesus says you'll be joyful as you start receiving the answer to these prayers and you start being more and more fruitful. That is our joy. And it goes back to Jesus being the center of your life. If Jesus is the center of our life and we pray and ask God for something that helps us to be even more of a witness for him, and we receive that, whether it be the courage to stand up and speak or the opportunity to, to have a conversation with that person that he's been laying on our heart or, or, or whether it be, you know, whatever. When we pray and God gives us that thing, then that will be an incredible opportunity for us. And we will see as we grow that God is being glorified. Now, Jesus talks about the fact that God is glorified in what he's about to do. 
And what we have to realize is that God is, is glorified in us as well. So God was glorified in the sacrifice of Jesus. And He will be glorified in the sacrificial giving of our lives to His service. You know, it's important for us to remember that when we are saved, when we become Christians, we are giving our lives over to God. Because remember, Jesus gave His life, and so we're going to give our lives over to God. And what that means is that with what we have left, we are going to serve Him. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a vocational minister or a missionary or something like that. He may call you to be right where you are, but to serve Him and to honor Him in that life and in that lifestyle. But it, so it's not about necessarily going somewhere or doing something. It's about being a sacrificial uh, person that loves Jesus and will live their lives to honor Him and to glorify Him. Now, when Jesus talks about love, He's not talking about an abstract idea or a feeling. Um, when Jesus talks about love, he is talking about obediently loving others the way that he has loved us. That's what he's talking about. So when, when Jesus says, you know, I have loved you, he's not saying that I've had this warm, fuzzy feeling about you for the last three and a half years and we're, um, you know, I'm about to go. No, he's saying I have loved you through sacrifice. I've loved you through teaching. I've loved you through working these wonders for you to see. I've loved you through discipling you and now I'm going to love you by dying for you and then I'm going to love you by sending the Holy Spirit to, <coughs> excuse me, to guide you and to carry you forward. He has loved us. And what he's saying is that you will now love others. And so he talks about it in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is not an abstract idea. This is a concrete thing, that we would live sacrificially even for each other. He laid down his life for us, and we are to love in the same way. So if we are ready to die for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Surely we can at least come together and worship the Lord without fighting or without greed. One of the most distressing things that, that I have watched is kind of the, 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 the big religion, big church. Not, not, not necessarily a big church, but, but like Southern Baptist Convention and, and the Catholics and the Methodists and all these big organizations. What I have watched happen in all of those organizations, they fight. They gossip, use an old Bible word, backbiting. They, they, they struggle for power of position. They struggle for money, for giving, for, for that, that extra dollar. They struggle and they fight against each other. But we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to be ready to die for one another. If you were ready to die for someone, wouldn't you at least be peaceful? Wouldn't you at least come together and worship God without the kind of strife and struggle that people go through? I struggle, to watch, I struggle to think that God sees the big church the way that it is and He thinks that this is what He planned. Jesus called us friends because He's bringing us along with Him. You know, he, he said, you were servants, but I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. Jesus has revealed things to us, so we are with him on this, and we are friends with him, and we must remember that he is the source and the cause of all that we do. So even when we are loving someone else, so when we are loving another church member or we're loving someone out in the world that needs to hear Jesus, we are still loving them 
and that motivation is love by, is is that motivation is Jesus. So our actions should honor him. So everything that we do needs to be about him. And so when we show love to someone, we're really showing love to Jesus, and that's an important thing. So Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So Jesus called us. He knows what we will face, and he is able to bring us through it all. Now, these disciples that were sitting there that day had no idea what they were going to go through, but Jesus did. And it's the same way for us. Jesus has called us, and we don't know all that we're going to go through. Some of you can look back and say, wow, I've been through some things and God has been there for me. And and I can tell you that probably it's not over. And and I know that may not necessarily be all that comforting. But what I can also say is that Jesus knew and he is prepared to bring you through the rest of it. He is prepared to go all the way with you. So now a major part of the fruit that we bear as Christians and Jesus makes this very plain is that we love one another. That that's how we are known. That's That's how people know who we are, that we love one another. You know, he said, these things I command you so that you will love one another. This is Jesus's big thought here is love one another. So our love will declare our obedience to God and his faithfulness to us. Why do we love one another? Because God has been faithful. God has kept his promises. He has has kept his word. And so we will now keep his word by loving one another. And so how do we go through these hard times well, it seems pretty clear that we stay in Jesus through his word and through obedience to him, which is loving other people the way he has loved us. So as we go a little bit further, starting in verse 18, we see the persecuted disciples. Jesus now warns his disciples that they will be hated by the world and be treated just as scornfully as he has been treated. So the disciples had already seen The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they set traps for Jesus. They tried to arrest him. They would have known that it was, the the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. They just hadn't had an opportunity yet. So they knew how badly Jesus was being treated. Over the course of the next 24 hours, they were going to see Jesus treated even worse. They were going to see the mock trials. They were going to see the execution of Jesus. They were going to see all of these things. And so... What Jesus is saying is the way that the world hates you, or the way that the world has hated him, the world's going to hate us in that same way. Now that would have hit home very hard for the disciples in that time. And I think that it should hit home for us as well. So it seems clear here that Jesus is saying that the world will know that we are different and they will hate us for that difference. Now what, what what is the difference well, Jesus says you're not of the world. And what does that, what does that mean? Well, we're not like the world. We have been called apart to be separate and to be different. We belong to God and the world belongs to something else entirely. And so the world sees us as different and they hate us for it. Now, that's not a very big logical leap, is it? If we look back through history, all along people have hated differences in people. They always have. They've hated differences in religion and culture. They've hated differences... In food, they've hated all kinds of things. I've met people that will not eat certain kinds of food just because it's different than what they grew up with, and it might be good, but they won't even try it. We don't like different things, and the world hates us because we're different, and they see that difference in us. The church that is loved by the world may have forgotten their first love. The church that is loved by the world may not be different from the world, and that's an important thing. Remember when Jesus was writing the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, one of them had forgotten their first love. 
They did all kinds of nice things. They did all kinds of great things. You go back and read it. They, they, were, they were good, and they were generous, and they were loving, but they had forgotten their first love. The one thing that sets us apart is our love for Jesus. And, and, and if we have a love for Jesus, we won't compromise on his word. And so a church that is loved by the world, they may have forgotten him. And so we can be nice. We can have great public works projects. We can have all kinds of ministries and programs and do all sorts of things that the world would stand up and applaud us for. But if we don't love Jesus, then we have lost everything. And we have also not been abiding in him. So the reason the world hated Jesus and still hates us is that they do not know the almighty God and Father. Now in what Jesus says here, I actually hear almost the the, the, the menace or the, the, um, the, the necessary fear of God in what he says. The reason they hate me is because they don't know my Father. They don't know who God really is. God is the maker of everything that we know. He is the Almighty. There is no authority that is above Him. People fear power. When they see it, when they see power, when they see authority, people fear and respect power. But the world can't see God. And so when Jesus came along, they didn't believe him. They chose to believe the lies of Satan. And that's the same thing that's still going on today. People walk around like they are not a creation. People walk around like they deserve to be here. People walk around like we're entitled to life. We're not. We are a creation. We are owned and loved by a creator. But if people don't know God, they will have no fear and respect for his word, for his authority, and they will not believe in Jesus. Jesus knew that if people knew what he knew about God, they would have listened to him. If we know what Jesus knows about God, and we can because it's in the word, then we will listen to Jesus as well. This is not some game. And it's not something that we do, as people have said in the past, to make our consciences feel better. Following God is not just life or death. It's eternal. And we must follow Him. Now the world will hate Christians just as they hated Jesus because they don't know God and they choose to have no faith in Him. I believe with all of my heart that people should know God. They should know Him through His creation. They should know Him through the witness of the church throughout the generations. They should know who God is, but people choose not to believe in God. And because of that, they are in rebellion. The words of Jesus either lead to righteousness or they convict us of sin. I think that's pretty clear. Not only did Jesus come into this world to speak the truth, but he also came to demonstrate the power of God. So not only do we have the words that Jesus said, but we have the miracles that he performed as well. The testimony and powerful the, 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 the testimony and the power are enough to lead us uh, to faith. Those who reject this are guilty before God. It is just that plain and simple. And so Jesus begins to mention the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our lives today to help us bear witness about Jesus and to stand firm in the face of persecution. Jesus is warning his disciples, you're going to go through this. You are going to go through the things that I went through. The reason you're going through it is because they hate me. The reason they hate me is because they don't know the Father. And so I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to help you go through this. Je Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be surprised, and he doesn't want them to fall away. 
Uh, he, so that's why he's warning them and telling them about this. And so we will face trouble from many different areas. The keys for us are the Word of God and the power of God, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so when we go through this, now we've kind of built on. So we've got the Word of Jesus. How do you get through these things? The Word of Jesus. But now we also have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us helping us to keep on going and to keep going through. So now let's look more at this Holy Spirit and see what else He unlocks for us. So the next thing, with the Spirit of truth, when the Spirit comes in, we have a wonderful explanation for why we do not know all of God's plans for our lives at once. And I've wondered that, and I know you probably have at some time or another in, in the past. God, why don't you show me a couple of steps? And that way I don't have to get to the next step and wait, get to the next step and wait, get to the next step and wait. Why don't you show me a few things? Well, probably because we can't handle it. If Jesus had told his disciples from the very beginning that he was going to be killed, and that they were going to be hated, they would have been a very sorrowful group. Even if their faith was rock solid and they were not going to walk away from Jesus, they still would have walked around as mourners the whole time because they knew he was going to die and that they were going to be hated. He didn't tell them all that at once. He let them grow and he let them mature. And when they were ready to hear that truth, that's when he presented it to them. Instead, Jesus gave them what they could handle when they could handle it. And so if you're wondering why hasn't God shown you the next step, maybe he's waiting on you to, to be able to handle it. And that's not about necessarily about you and your shortcomings. That's just his timing and his work as he's going through this. So even though the disciples were about to go through a more difficult time, Jesus reassured them that they would have the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points to the person and work of Jesus. That's what he does. That's his job. That's his role. And so there are things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. He will point out the sins of unbelievers so that they are without excuse if they do not believe in Jesus. And so that's what he's doing. Here's your sin. Believe in Jesus. So he's convicting them of sin, but also convincing people of righteousness. He will point out the path of righteousness to believers so that they are reminded of Jesus' words. How do we know what is right? Because Jesus told us what is right. And so the Holy Spirit will remind us of what Jesus has shown us. But he will also point out the defeat of Satan, declaring that he has no power over Christians living in the light of Christ's victory. So this is very important for us. When we are threatened, when we are tempted, when the power of the world seems to be too great, the Holy Spirit will remind us that the world's already been defeated, that Satan has already been defeated. That is part of his ministry in your life. So there was much more the disciples um, should learn later uh, as the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. And we have the New Testament today because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So in that first century, the Holy Spirit was speaking to the men that were gathered there listening to Jesus, but also a few others. And that is how we receive the Holy Spirit. So all of that that Jesus said, much I have to tell you, that is, that is, the, whole, that is the New Testament that God poured out for us. So as we study the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the meaning of God's Word so that we can live according to them. So, here's the important thing about reading the Bible. We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. The Bible says that in 2 Timothy. What that means is that it's God's Word. Now, throughout the years people have and sometimes been unable to study the Word of God because it wasn't in a language that they could read and understand. 
But in these last four to 500 years, we've actually had it in a language that we can read. But people have still been intimidated to read the Word of God because they thought that you had to have more learning, more education, more skill with the Word to understand it. But one of the works, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in your life is to help you understand it. So if you are a Christian, and if you will dedicate to truly reading the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will grant you understanding. Now, this is much like what Jesus said with the disciples. He will give you what you can handle. And you will come back year after year as you read the Scriptures. You will learn more and more and more. He will continue to reveal more to you as you are able to take it and to understand it. But that is a work that the Holy Spirit does in your life is reveal the Word of God, the meaning of God's Word to you. So, our time in Scripture is a dialogue because the Holy Spirit will be telling us the things of God as we read His Word. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we're going to read a passage and then we're just going to take a meaning. That's not what this means. What this means is that as you read a passage, the Holy Spirit will help you understand what God intends you to know about that passage. And that's a vast difference. We're not saying that you read a verse and it means whatever it means in your heart. No, what we're saying is that you read the passage and God reveals its meaning to you. And that is vastly different and that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that He works in your life. So, so now we've got, we've got the Word of Jesus, we've got the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to resist persecution, but we've also got the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate Scriptures for us as we go through these difficult times. These are the ways that we abide in Jesus. These are the ways that we go through it. Now, joy and victory. Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to go away. And this is kind of a long passage as he goes through this, but I'm going away, then you won't see me for a while, then you will see me for a while. And he knows they're confused. And so he explains um, that they're going to go through a time of sorrow, uh, and then that sorrow would be gone, they would rejoice, and they would rejoice forever. And so what Jesus says is that the pain that the church is going through is compared to childbirth. Um, and so he describes it that in that moment, the woman is sorrowful because of the, the pain and because of the, the things that are going on. But after that time, when she gives birth to the child, she has joy and all that anguish is forgotten. I'm not going to ask if that's true. Jesus said it. So if it's not true for you, then Jesus said it, not me. Um, but anyway, Jesus says, you forget all that. I have no idea. Um, the most difficult time is followed immediately by a time of great joy when all the sorrow is forgotten. That's what Jesus says, is that, that whatever we're going through now, and whatever the church is going through, it's going to get more and more difficult until that moment that Jesus returns. And that's when joy happens. So until Jesus returns, or we go to Him, we will have sorrow. But when we see Him, we will have unending joy. Now, Jesus knew that His disciples would have difficulty. But He left His Word, He sent His Spirit, and He gave us prayer to help us until we see Him again. So He gave us all of these things to help us. Jesus tells us that God wants to answer our prayers because we have loved Jesus. So just in case the disciples thought maybe Jesus is giving us this magical formula in Jesus' name and you get whatever you ask for, that's not what He's doing. He says that you love me, we love Jesus, and so God wants to answer our prayers.
Because we have loved Jesus. And how do you love Jesus? You obey his word. So obedient Christians showing that we love Jesus when we pray, God answers those prayers. That's how that works. So just when the disciples think that they understand, Jesus tells them that they soon will be scattered and leave them alone. Says that, oh, so we understand. You know all things because you're from you know, the Father and, and now you're not speaking in riddles. And Jesus says, oh, do you really understand? Well, you're about to be scattered, each to his own home, like that night. He said, the hour's coming, and in fact, it is now that you will be scattered. So for them, they were about to go through a time in which they saw that he, although they believed in Jesus they were going to need more strength than what was within them. And so the next couple of hours for them is a testimony to the necessity of the Holy Spirit in their lives because these same men would face down death time and time again once they had the power of the Holy Spirit inside them, but before this moment, they would scatter. So even with this unhappy thought in mind, Jesus is thinking of the disciples and reassuring them that better days lie ahead. So for now, the world will attack us, but the world is defeated, uh, is a defeated foe because Jesus has overcome the world. That's what he says. You know, you're going to be scattered, but I, want, I say this so that you have peace. Because in this world, you'll have trouble, but I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. So as followers of Jesus, there is real danger in this world. We face real danger. But if we love Jesus, obey his commands and trust his promises, we too will overcome the world. This is, this is the thing that Jesus says that finishes this topic and helps us to get through. So, what did he say? He said, abide in him. How do we do that? Well, we have his word, we have the Holy Spirit, we have prayer, we have the understanding of his word through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we have the knowledge that Jesus has already won. And that when we abide in Him, we have that victory as well. So those are things that will get us through. Nothing in that passage says it's going to be easy. Nothing that Jesus said makes us think that we won't face opposition in this world. And it's going to look different in every generation. The way that the world is opposing us now is different than it opposed the church 50 or 100 years ago. And the way the world opposes us is going to change as we go forward. But it will always be against us so long as we love Jesus. And as long as we love Jesus and obey Him and follow His Word, we will be able to overcome. So I hope that in the middle of all that challenge and, and all those words, that, that you find encouragement in the fact that Jesus has given us a path to where we can follow Him and we can make it through even the most difficult of times that we as an individual and we as a church will face. So let's always trust in Him. Stay connected to His Word. Spend time in prayer and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we do thank you so much for Jesus and the ministry that He left us here on this earth. The words, the teachings, the signs and the wonders. But we also thank you that when he left, he sent another. He sent a helper. He sent the Holy Spirit. So that now, when we face a challenge to our faith, when this world wants to stand against us for what we believe, we will have the courage to do so. Courage that isn't just natural in us, but it comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I thank you that you work in our lives to help us bear fruit. And I pray that we are always looking for another way to be faithful to you, to love you, and to love each other.
pray that as we depart from here, that this isn't the sum total of our Bible study for the week, but that we're always listening to you in your word so that you might speak the words of truth that will guide us in our daily life. Thank you for this time. And as we, uh, as we depart from here, I pray that you remind us that we are still abiding in Jesus. We are still part of the vine. We are the branches. We are the part that bears fruit. And that that is a work that you will do through us as you have remade us into your image. You have given us so many reasons to be thankful. And I pray that we go out of these doors glorifying you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.